You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. All right, this morning is um, the, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer as our as our dig first kind of moment, our dig first kind of process. If you recall, um, this year is a focus on building foundations, which we've called rock solid. Um, Our anchoring scripture are the words of Jesus recorded in two gospels. He records them in Matthew, or they're recorded in Matthew and Luke. We've chosen the Luke uh, passage. Um, and I've read it out of a different version every Sunday, and so I'm going to do it again today. We're going to read it to you out of the Amplified Version. He says, why do you call me, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not practice what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and listens to my words and obeys them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a far-sighted, practicable, practical, and sensible man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and yet could not shake it because it had been securely built and founded on the rock. But the one who, was mere, who has merely heard and has not practiced what I say is like a foolish man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and it immediately collapsed, and the ruin of that house was great. I unpacked four foundational truths from this, and then added a fifth last week. Um, the, the four are one is that Jesus defines relationships by actions. Jesus defines relationships by actions. Lord, Lord is a title of sovereignty and our servanthood. He says, but, but you use that term and you don't do what I say. You don't follow where I lead. So for Jesus, relationship is always going to be based on our actions over against just what we say. Second foundational truth is rock solid foundations. They take deep digging. They take deep digging. I talked about three different types of soil that we deal with. One is a topsoil, some surface level things. And then there's some rocky soil. And then I called it spoiled soil, um, meaning a contaminated soil. It's not possible for us to live in today's culture and climate and not be subject to these soils. It's also not possible to live without being hurt without being disappointed, without being discouraged, without having, peop- having things that's happened to us that's hurt us. And those are things that I, I, I kind of um, labeled as rocky soil, things that we've just kind of learned to live with. And yet, if we get those things out of our life, it gives us more capacity for Christ and it get, allows us to get a deeper foundation on him Um, And then the spoiled, contaminated soil is just things by our own compromise that we let in that jeopardizes the foundation um, to build on. Three is that floods happen to everyone and they cause real damage. I don't have to even elaborate on that one. We understand what happens when storms come in our life and the ability they have, or at least the potential ability they have to erode the things around us. The four four is that lives rise and fall based on foundation. They rise and fall based on foundation. The higher you want to go, the deeper you have to go. Um, the, the, The more challenging the storms that we'll face, and we don't even know what those are going to be, um, the more sturdy the foundation needs to be. Now, again, our foundation is Christ. You don't get more sturdy than Christ. But how, how are we building down onto that foundation? The fifth foundational truth, kind of connected with something I taught you last year, is that there are no shortcuts to worthwhile foundations or worthwhile destination. There's just no shortcuts to it. It's not possible for us to stand firm on Christ by snacking, spiritual snacking I talked about last week. We have to do some first things first. Um, And so the fifth kind of foundational truth is that foundations are built with first actions. They're built with first actions. In the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew's Gospels chapters four, five, and six, 
Jesus emphasizes the importance of three specific first things. But the last verse, or the next to the last verse in this passage, it kind of gives you a good sense of uh, context for why that's important. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. I like to say then his ways, if you're, if you're not familiar with the term righteousness. We search, we, we seek first his kingdom. We track after it first and his ways. And he says, and all these things shall be added unto you. What are all these things? Well, these would be all the things that are necessary for our life. This would even be all the things that's, um, that we have potential for, all the things that we set goals for, all of our dreams and aspirations. He's saying all of these things, all things will come if you will seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. He goes as far as to say, well, I like how actually um, C.S. Lewis put it. C.S. Lewis said, um, if you aim, um, let's see, how did he say it? If you aim for earth, you will miss heaven. If you aim for heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. What, a, what an amazing way to phrase, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The first three things, the dig down processes that Matthew 6 talks about are in, in this order. He says, he talks about giving first, talks about fasting, and he talks about, uh, or he talks about prayer and he talks about fasting. Last week, I talked about fasting as a first process. Uh, I told you that there were three things for me personally that you can find also in scripture that come out of my time of fasting. Now, this is the last week, and I can tell you that, again, as many years as I've done this, I am, I am ready for this part of my, my life, to, my, my year to be over, right? I mean, I, I, I love the fact of what fasting does, and the reason why it's been so important to me to stick with it for three weeks is I can do anything for three days. I can do anything for a week, right? We have, we have endured ice and snow for a week. I'm fine. But then the two weeks come and the three weeks come and you really kind of have to lean into that and press into that. You, you really then have to be convinced on what you're after, in order to stick with it like this. And the, the three weeks really comes out of J Daniel chapter 10. He, he, was, he, was, he was moved, he was disturbed by, by not, um, he wasn't hearing an answer to a prayer that he prayed and he leaned into it three weeks of fasting. And at the end of the three weeks, an angel of the Lord came and said, I was dispatched to you when you prayed. And yet now I have overcome the king of Persia. There, there is something that we partner with God in resisting in the enemy. And fasting is one of those ways that we resist and that we dig in. I said that the, the verses in Matthew 6 say, when you fast, shows that it is a normative practice of Christianity. I consider then the first fast of the year to be a foundational fast. Yes, I fast out of desperation, I'll fast out of other reasons, but there is something about a foundation that sets up for anything that takes place afterwards. The three things that I can prove to you out of scripture and then my own life that comes out of three weeks of fasting is clarity of identity and vision. I get a clearer sense of who I am in Christ and what Christ has outlined for me to do. This stuff gets clouded um, and eroded over the course of a year. Doubt of who I am in Christ inevitably slips in. Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. And the beginning part of this year kind of resets me around the clarity of my identity in Christ and the vision in which he's given me, which leads to, it also, um, this is my invented word, clarity, the clarity of obstacles and opposition. Clearly in scripture, fasting moves the elements in front of us. Even when the disciples were uh, praying for a particular demon to be cast out of a person and could not do it, and Jesus did, his words were, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. There is a spiritual power and authority that, that gets um, transferred, if you will, to the person of Christ and the body of Christ when they fast. Um, I don't primarily fast for things to be cleared out of my way, but one of the rewards of fasting is things that's cleared out of my way. And the last one is very much connected. It's um, courage for movement and advancing. When I am 
more sure of my identity in Christ, when I am more sure of the vision in front of me, when God begins to move the things that set up an opposition to me, when you can just see those things starting to shift and crack. It's not like sometimes they, sometimes they go away. Sometimes you can just start to see them weakening. Sometimes you can start seeing you kind of rising above them. And when you start to see that movement, courage comes up inside of you to continue to push ahead. Those are the things that happen when we fast. Now today we're going to talk about prayer. These aren't independent actions. Um, these are parallel actions. In fact, in the book that I gave you, we gave away all those copies um, of Pray First, Chris Hodges' book. He makes this connection between prayer and fasting on page 191. He says, prayer connects us to God. Fasting disconnects us from the world. That is as, as well as I believe you could say it. Fasting separates me away from the influences of the world. And prayer connects me to God. So here is the text today. It's Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 15, as normal. I'll read it out of the NIV version. It says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not, like, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Already, when we talked about fasting, fasting, when you read those passages of Scripture, it says that he will reward. Again, here in pray, Jesus emphasizes again that there is a reward. There is a reward in prayer. Then he goes on to teach them how to pray. So I like to think that the first part, he's saying this is, not, this is how you don't do it. <laughs> and now he's saying this is how you do do it. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts and we, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Where'd I go? Um, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is affectionately been labeled the Lord's Prayer. Matthew records it as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, which can be considered a foundational sermon. It's the first public mass teaching that Christ gives. And so you would have to consider then that has to be foundational, right? But it's also then listed in Luke. In Luke, it's in response to Jesus's disciples saying, would you teach us how to pray? Um, is it recorded once in scripture? Is it recorded twice? I, I, I know that I need to be reminded of this. I have no problem believing that Jesus includes it in a Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus also answered the, the question of his disciples, how do I pray? For me personally, I find it easier for me to read my Bible consistently than it is to consistently pray. And I, I don't know, it's just my bent. I, I, I am a reader. Um, obviously, I introduced this Life 180 where reading the whole uh, Bible cover to cover in 180 days, and I, even though I, I miss days, I'm still on track kind of to do, I don't know, this made my, my third time through since the sabbatical. I, I, I find it easy to read, but when it comes down to building a life built foundationally on prayer, I'm not talking about praying when you need something or praying when you're desperate. I'm talking about setting up a foundational place of prayer. I think sometimes that's difficult because we see it as passive. Um, we don't necessarily see it as conversational. And, and for, for sure, we have a difficult time, I think, believing that it is a foundational. I, we can believe it's foundational, 
But again, back to there are actions actually demonstrate our belief. If we believe it's foundational, good questions go around, then why don't we build it into us more foundationally? So here are three points that I have to that particular question. The first is that foundational prayer is fueled by a primary desire. This is what separates a desperation prayer from a foundational prayer. Where is my desire? There are plenty of things that compete for my desire. Wherever my desire is, that's where my actions follow. Um, Prayer is a first practice of a desire for a deeper, more intimate relationship with God. And I don't know many followers of Christ who would say they don't want that. And yet I really believe, because I'll base it on my own life, that we settle for so much less of God that's available to us because we have enough to get through whatever we're getting through. When Jean and I first started dating, she lived on the north side of Atlanta. I lived on the south side of Atlanta. We were a good 45 minutes to an hour to part, depending on traffic, on the loop there in Atlanta, 285. I, she worked a full-time job. I had a full-time youth pastor position, I was, um, and then, which took up some weekends, obviously, right? My, my mantra to all our staff is we work weekends. Um, and we would see each other on Friday night because a lot of times I had things going on with students on Saturday. So it started out as a Friday night we would see one another. But then as, as our relationship developed, and it developed quite quickly because we only dated for four months before she asked me, I mean, before I asked her um, to marry me. Um, we started, that one night a week was turning into two nights a week, which turned into three nights a week, which turned into actually... Two nights I would drive after work uh, and my pastor knew exactly the time I left every single day. (laughs) So when the office closed, I'd get in my car, I'd drive 45 minutes an hour to the north side to our condo and there we would spend spend those those two different nights. And then um, two other nights, she would drive south to my apartment where we'd eat dinner and we'd spend that time together. Um, That's what desire does. Desire doesn't um, remove the obstacles keeping you apart. It's a full acknowledgement. I didn't somehow, and she didn't somehow convince herself that an hour on 285 um, really wasn't an hour on 285. It was an hour on 285. Um, And yet, that seemed insignificant to the couple hours we got to spend eating dinner and talking with one another. Foundational prayer, which I, which I am labeling the Lord's prayer as a foundational prayer, this piece is based on desire. Um, prayer is a matter of desire and desire makes time. More time spent leads to more time desired. We didn't get, we didn't get to the point where we said, you know, one night's enough. Because one night led to two nights are enough. Three nights are enough, right? Time, time increases the desire. If you don't make time for prayer, you will have no time for prayer. Plain and simple. The second is foundational prayer is opposed. Foundational prayer is opposed. We know this about any spiritual endeavor that it's always going to have opposition to it because the enemy does not want us grounded and founded on the rock of Christ. Um, When you decide to set a practice of foundational prayer, you can get ready for many, many kinds of disruptions. Um, I become much more popular when I decide to have a very set time of prayer. Why is that? Why am I saying that? Because that's when my phone starts dinging that's when the texts start ringing in, right? And so there's going to be disruptions when you decide to develop a pattern and a posture of prayer. Here are four things that's helped me do this. Um, This is the best practice, if you will, to disrupt the disruptors. First is I have a schedule. 
a schedule. And it's interesting because as that schedule, I lose that schedule as the year goes on. January gives me a chance to reset my schedule. I set a time and a place where I'm going to pray. And I am proactive in my scheduling. Um, Several years ago, coming out of the sabbatical, I realized I had lost all control of my calendar, all control. The next thing that was needed was what made it onto my calendar. And I was absolutely out of control on how I lived my life. There was no official start time. There was no official stop time. It just went on and on and on. Now, I have a very set way of what, what blocks of time that I set aside for what blocks of service. Our staff knows this. I have a calendar meeting every Monday uh, with my assistant, Angie Harrison, and we set my week up on Monday. And unless an emergency comes in, I don't move things. That schedule has saved my life. And so because that is now how I view my calendar, it is not fluid. When I schedule a time for prayer, it's not fluid. There, there has to be something drastic that's going to take me out of that schedule because I believe that that is an important foundational piece to my day and my life and my week and my family. And so unless there's just some emergency that's going to keep that from happening, that is a set time. I, we always schedule the most important things in our life. We just do. We automate the most important things in our life. Is, there is a re- this is kind of bleeds into the giving, so I won't do it. Yes, I will. Um, there's no one in the congregation hardly to tell me not to. Um, you know, it's amazing to me that my insurance, my life insurance, my car insurance, my health insurance, all auto-draft my accounts. You guys realize this, right? They auto-draft. I don't set up the payment. They, ought, they come and get it, and they take it. And... And for the reason that if there's any gap in our insurance times, that, that's what we're trying to avoid. But, but it, to me, it signifies the value of automating the things that are important. This is what I've given online. Gene and I have given online now. I don't even know how many uh, years because I realized that even when I loved writing my check and Gene and I holding hands and putting it in the offering plate and praying over that tithe, when you look closely at your pay stub, somebody else has already gotten there. And somewhere along this line, it just occurred to me, wait a minute, if I really want this to be first. It, it's that important to me. Well, the way I do that is I, I automate that and, and God gets his before the government gets theirs. And I'll, I'll talk more about giving. But. So schedule. The second is journal. I had never journaled until probably the last four or five years when we started producing journals here. Um, Here's what journaling does for me. My mind has a way of wandering in a set time of prayer. It wanders. So sometimes writing my prayers help me um, stay on track in my praying. It keeps my mind from wandering when I, I don't write all my prayers, but are there certain days when my mind is wandering, I know I can open my journal and I can begin writing my prayer and man, it just laser focuses me. The second way it does is minds forget. I forget, I'll sometimes get set, settled in a time of prayer and I go, well, what am I, what am I praying for today? Well, hopefully this message will help that. But I keep a list of what I should be, what I feel responsible for, praying into, right? So there's big categories in that. There's family categories in that. Um, There's personal needs in the congregation. There are congregation things in that. In fact, when I'm really on my game, I I used to have those broken out in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So so I didn't feel like I sat down and had to pray the kitchen sink every time I sat down, right? So no, I'm going to focus my prayer on this particular thing on Monday. I'm going to pray for my family. My family's going to be first. I'm going to pray for the church, right? So, So journaling helps me do that. Um, and then we all get distracted, um, not just a wandering mind. Uh, if you really want to keep up on your to-do lists, um, let me suggest that you begin your day in prayer. Why? Because as soon as I hit my knees to go into pray, what pops in my mind is something that I've got to do. It's amazing to me how the enemy is, looks out for me 
He just looks out for me so much. He doesn't want me to miss those important things that when I go to pray, then he reminds me of those things. So what I do in my journal is I'll just pause, I'll jot it down, and I'll go back to prayer, and I'll thank the enemy for his reminder. Um, journaling. So the third is isolate. I can't pray foundational prayers well when I'm not alone. Like Gene and I can pray together. I love when we pray together. I'll pray together with you. But when I'm praying foundational type prayers, I got to be by myself. I, I need to be isolated. I don't want the TV on. I don't want to, personally, I don't even pray with music on. I, I need to be isolated. And of course, we're empty nesters. It's easier for me to get up and find an isolated place in the morning. Um, but isolation helps me. And the, the last one for me would be my voice. My voice. When, when there are plenty of times that I will pray out loud. Um, praying out loud in the morning really keeps me locked in. Um, this is another way to keep your mind from wandering and from being distracted, distracted by praying out loud. And um, all right, so we talked about um, a desire and we talked about a, um, a practice. And then the third is the foundational prayer needs a pattern to repeat. I think this is the beauty of the Lord's Prayer, a pattern to repeat. Jesus wasn't just giving them words to pray. He was teaching them a posture of prayer. He was teaching them a pattern of prayer. And that's what I want to dig into. So again, the first five verses, when you pray, again, here's how we don't, don't do it, right? Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love praying standing in the synagogue and on the street corners. What's that? In public, right? They, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they received their reward in full. What were they wanting? If they, if they practice it like that, what were they wanting? They were wanting attention. They were wanting people to see them as, as more holy and more pious than they were. And it apparently worked. And that's why Jesus says they received their reward in full. He said, but then when you go pray, when you pray, then go into your room, close the door, pray to the Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Interesting. So then what would be our rewards? There would be a lot of things that we talk about today, back even to the, thing, the rewards from fasting, because they go underneath this general heading of we get the Father. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. When I, when I get with people and they tell me, Pastor, I just, I just don't know how to pray, it's because they end up pattering or wanting to pattern their prayers over prayers in which they've seen and heard. And if it's in the case of church, right, I'm standing, I stand, Micah, others will stand in a large group and we will pray. And, and if, you're, if you're new to the conversation with God and you're not in an office, so to speak, of shepherding large groups of people, you can hear the prayers I pray and say, I can't pray like that. Now, what I hope is that my prayers don't come out as babbling words. But the essence of prayer is a conversation, which we'll get here in a minute, with our Father. And so when, I, when, I, when someone asks me, I, I, I try to get them just to talk out loud to me as if they're praying. Because there is a simplicity that God loves and honors in our prayer. We don't have to have a separate vocabulary and language. You use what you've got and God meets us there. Four prayer observations from this, from these, um, this particular section. One, again, is prayer is a normative practice. Having prayer as a spiritual foundation is a norm of practice. This, this should be woven into all of our lives if we want this rock solid relationship. The second is pretty, is pretty good is that people get it wrong. People for all time, go back to the first century, people get prayer wrong. They get, they get it wrong from a motivation standpoint. They get it wrong for um, thinking that somehow they have to put themselves up in a different spiritual you know, altitude in order for to be received by God. And God, is, God himself is telling us the opposite. So then God rewards right prayer. 
He doesn't reward wrong prayer. Prayer that is prayed out loud in public to be seen. He he rewards right prayer. The the Father will reward you in your unseen moments. You need to know that. You need to know in your unseen moments, he hears and rewards that prayer because that's the last piece here is God is aware of our needs, but he asks us to ask, right? So he doesn't need information. He needs invitation. When we give him the invitation, then he responds in RSVPs with yes, and he is then with us in those moments of prayer. He doesn't need our information, but he does need our invitation. It's interesting that the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. They would have been very familiar with prayer. These kids, these kids, these disciples as kids would have grown up in some of the three levels of Jewish rabbi school. At the very least, they would have memorized the Torah. They might not have made it past that level of education, but they at least made it to that level. They knew what it was. They were raised in the temple. They would have known what prayer looked like. So why do they ask Jesus to teach us how to pray? Because they saw something different and how Jesus lived, and they equated that with how he prayed. That's, that's, that's a really fascinating point. What did they see with Jesus? They saw miracles. They saw Jesus perform miracles. They saw the power of his life. They, they knew, <coughs> excuse me, that that power then was connected to his relationship with God and he was continually going off by himself to pray. They connected the dots and they wanted that kind of power and authority in their life. Jesus, teach us how to pray. I believe they also saw the wisdom that came from Jesus. Jesus was never stumped. Plenty of people tried to trip up Jesus. He always had the absolute correct answer to anything they threw his way. They connected the dots and said, that wisdom comes from a relationship with the Father in prayer. And Jesus was always, not just that wisdom piece, you cannot read anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus ever got rattled in any circumstance. He doesn't get rattled in the garden. He doesn't get rattled on the cross. He doesn't get rattled, even at the threat of his life. And they, I want that kind of life. Do you want that kind of life? Out of all of those, I want that kind of life. I want a life that I'm not rattled, regardless of what circumstance that con- confronts me. And listen, I know when I get rattled, I throw up prayers of desperation. Those are heard prayers of God. Jesus would have prayed. Look, when he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb, he doesn't pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? So so Jesus didn't just pray out loud in public or these things, but I guarantee you this prayer had to come from somewhere and it came from his practice. There was a posture and practice of Jesus that they wanted duplicated. So when he begins, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is he teaching us? He's teaching us the posture of a child. He is teaching us that God is not a distant, disinterested deity. This is where it starts. We're we're, we're not approaching. We're not approaching. Actually, you guys, I'm late and you're early, actually. So so just, just hang or you'll be playing for, 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 for too long. Um, our Father, I just wasn't clear enough for you. I apologize. We, don't, we also don't approach God as a disconnected people. He is a constant and he is a present, but we approach him as a child, but we also approach him worshipfully. Um, so our posture is relationship and our pattern is worship. Let me tell you how this has impacted me so far. Um, so my, so my prayer time will be in the morning. 
And I have felt convicted of God and compelled of God to get up, get ready, go into the office, and kneel and pray. Now, that might not be for you, but this is mine, all right? Because if I'm going to approach the Father in heaven, then there has to be some element that's not just flippant and casual. Now, I can be casual with God. We're, we're, we're to pray without ceasing. I get that. But from a foundational prayer element, there has been something that's come over me that's been if you're going to approach the Father in heaven, you can. You're his son. You're his daughter. He welcomes us to approach. But what does it look like to do that worshipfully? Hallowed be your name. And I'll tell you what it doesn't look like for me. It doesn't look like in my pajamas still laying in bed with all curled up because that's a convenient, comfortable place for me to pray. So this is how this one is starting to change me a little bit. Uh, from a foundational prayer point, this is what I'm going to do. My, my posture is relationship, but my pattern is always going to be worship. The second, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a humble posture. And our pattern is alignment. All right. Your kingdom come. What, what are we praying when we pray that? We're saying, I want, I want you to thrive. I want your name to be made great. I want what you want. I don't want to see my kingdom grow. I want to see your kingdom grow. It is a matter of this prayer as a foundational prayer aligns us to the will and ways of God. You can tell when you get out of alignment. When I get out of alignment, I get more frustrated in my prayer. I get more discouraged in life. When I can, when I can align what my expectations are to God, then I can let go of my expectations when they're not met. Alignment in a car is told by the wear of the tires. I remember I brought a tire up here some years ago to demonstrate this. My father never taught me how to align the front end of a car, but he taught me how to recognize it when it was out of a line so that I could get him out to the customer. He did also teach me to recognize which parts under the front end of a car, older cars, that were worn and which is what led to the out of alignment. I know when my tread wear is wearing wrong. And when my tread is wearing unevenly, I have to go back and align myself with the will and ways of God. This is a foundational prayer that does this regularly. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have to come at that with a posture of humility, right? Because we want our own ways. So it takes a posture of humility. Give us today our daily bread. This is a posture of a, of a son and a daughter. And the pattern is petition. This as a foundational prayer is a recognition that he is our provider. Can, I, can you provide for yourself? Sure you can. But when we don't recognize God as our provider, our daily provider, we are always going to be limited to what we can provide. And if you want to be limited by what you can provide, go ahead and skip the prayer. But if you want to open yourself up to the power and abundance of God, ask him for your provision. Ask him for your daily bread. You, you have no idea what the day holds. So the beginning of the day is asking for his provision. Here's the next one. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Um, I know this is going to be a shock to everyone, but I, I'm, I'm not perfect. Laughter coming from my left-hand side. So this is a real legit part of the prayer. Now, this is not a matter of salvation. This isn't, um, I, am, I am praying for the forgiveness of Christ for the first time. This is, this is more along the lines of when Jesus even 
washed the feet of the disciples and he tells Peter, there's no need for a whole bath, but your feet have gotten dirty. And he connects this then with a recognition that we are to forgive others. There are, there are, there are, there are things in which others have done that have impact on us. And our asking for forgiveness, he's connecting the dots, even how he ends the prayer. He connects the dots to as we forgive. It's, it's a recognition of I've been forgiven so much, I need to forgive. And isn't it amazing to me as part of a foundational prayer that Jesus inserts this? Maintaining our, we have a repentance posture in foundational prayer with a forgiving pattern. And here's the last one. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, English kind of renders this a difficult passage. The better understanding of this, because God doesn't lead us into temptation. We are drawn into temptation by our own lusts, our own desires. What Jesus is patterning here is asking God to, to, to lead us away from what our natural inclinations will lead us on this day. My natural inclinations will lead me this way. Lord, I'm asking you, lead me away from that. Bring me away from that. Um, it's an acknowledgement that there is someone that has evil intent for us and to protect us from that evil one. So here's in one, in one slide. In one slide, here is what I believe, um, and I've preached on this passage, I don't know how many years, and uh, I don't go back. A lot of times I might go back for original research, and this time I didn't. I wanted a fresh look at the prayer. This is what I took from the prayer, that a foundational prayer carries the posture of relationship and the pattern of worship. It carries the posture of humility with the pattern of alignment. It carries the posture of a child, of a son or daughter. It has a pattern of petition. The prayer the po- has, carries a posture of repentance and a pattern of forgiveness and a posture of needing God's direction and following God's lead. Okay, now, I'm sorry. You know, um, usually I can just see when people start nodding off, yawning, I'm going to the bathroom and it's time to quit. It's a, lot, it's a lot more difficult when there's no one in the room. So what do you do with this prayer, Charlie? Are you, are you saying that this is to be our repeated prayer? Maybe. Um, you know, I, not from a standpoint of go say, you know, four Hail Marys and five Our Fathers, which might be some of your backgrounds. I think the fact that if I memorize this prayer, it links me more to the pattern in which Christ is setting up. One of the things that occurred to me was for Jesus to respond with these words, with the question, teach us how to pray. I don't believe what Jesus did was in the moment make up a pattern. So if he doesn't make up a pattern in their question, where does it come from? Have you considered that this is how he prayed? We don't have record of his prayers when he was in private with the Father. Could could this literally have been how he approached his Father? I mean, think now. He is fully human. He is facing everything that we face. He's walking roads that we would have walked. I mean, he is carrying the burden of Messiah, but he's carrying that burden of Messiah in a human, fleshly body, mind. Maybe it was even his father that taught him how to pray. Come to me as my son. You're still my son. I know you're there and I know I'm here but I'm still your father. I 
I know that things look different. You get, you're getting bombarded with different options and ways. But son, don't forget, you're there for, for my kingdom. You're getting pulled in all kinds of different directions. Do it this way. Do it that way. Son, it's my kingdom. Jesus learns to align himself. Don't we see this in the garden prayer? Father, if there's any way this cup would pass from me, let it pass. But if not, your will be done. This, this, is a, this is a desperation prayer that has a foundation in regular prayer of saying, I want your will to be done, not my will to be done. This is getting harder, Father. This is getting harder, Father. This is getting harder, Father. But I want your will to be done. Jesus had no job. He had no side gig. He had no side hustle. He had to eat every day like we had to eat. He said the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Doesn't it seem natural than Jesus would have had a foundational part of his prayer of today, Lord, there is going to be real physical needs. Would you give me my daily bread? What about the forgive me of my debts piece? That, that could be tricky, right? No, not really. He goes and gets baptized and places himself in the position of sinners, and yet he was without sin. He is putting himself in the same position there. I am, I, am, I am susceptible and I've taken on the sin of the world. That's going to be my trek. That's where I'm headed. I want to teach my people how to ask for forgiveness. And I don't want them to lose sight that forgiveness isn't just something for them. It is something for them to give. When you receive the forgiveness of God, we are in position regardless of how much it hurts. We are in relational, we're in a relational forgiven place to God and we now have the capacity to forgive. Forgiveness is a choice. It will always be a choice before ever, ever is a feeling. We forgive and we allow the Holy Spirit to catch our heart up to our mind. He teaches this as a part of a foundational prayer. It is very difficult for you to live a grounded life holding unforgiveness against someone else. That's always going to be a place of vulnerability. And that's for someone right now. I believe with all my heart that that place you're carrying of unforgiveness is a place of vulnerability. That if you will begin uttering the phrase to God that you forgive them, you will begin, you'll begin getting rid of that contaminated soil and you will begin replacing that with foundational soil. Lead us not in temptation but deliver us from the evil one. I could hear Jesus saying that. Lord, my flesh wants to pull me here. My flesh wants to pull me there. He had the same flesh as we did. But I need you to lead me in the right direction. And I know deliverance will come with the resurrection. But I, I, need, I need daily deliverance from the forces that set against me. Doesn't this sound like a foundational way for us to pray to our Father in heaven? The posture to take before him as a way in which to center and stabilize and found every day that we have. Anyway, it's changing, it's changing the way I approach my morning prayer. Um, I encourage you to reflect over that as well. How would your prayer change? What results would we see over changing how, the foundation of how we pray? So, just in conclusion, um, I'm not, see, I, somebody, the beauty is you could have turned me off a long time ago and I didn't see you walk out. Um, I want you to, wherever you are, I want you to stand. And um, the team they're going to sing the Lord's Prayer with us. Every time I've heard this song in public, it's always very moving and sobering to me. And I, I encourage you could either sing along, you can 
listen, but I want these words to music. I want them to get deep inside your soul today. receive you as their father. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you, turn his countenance towards you, and grant you peace. And you're rising up, and you're laying down, and you're going out and coming in both now and forevermore. And you can do this from home just like we can do it here. Our response. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you. Enjoy your remainder of your Sunday. I hope to see you back in the room next Sunday. God bless you. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.